0: Eye on Horror, the official podcast of iHorror.com. This is episode 97, otherwise known as season 5, episode 19. I am your host, James J. Edwards, and with me, as always, is your other host, Jacob Davison. How you doing, Jacob?
1: Uh, Doing pretty well. Uh, Pretty excited. I'm going to be heading back east uh, soon for the holidays.
0: For Thanksgiving? Yeah, you go back there a lot, huh?
1: Yeah, no, I go go back there every year for Thanksgiving. You know, just kind of a tradition thing.
0: You get to see the fam. That's fun. Yep. Uh, also with us, as always, is your other other host, John Korea. How you doing, Korea?
2: Ah, uh, you know, just preparing for the holidays. Which working in COVID admin is is always always so fun. Yeah, I'm just ready, hunkering down for that for that surge. It's gonna be it's gonna be a thing.
0: My wife and I were just talking um, the other day about what uh, we're going to do for the holidays because we always there would traditionally be like a Thanksgiving at family how you know at family members houses and then there'd be a Christmas Eve and we haven't done it the last few years because of COVID and also some of our family are anti-vaxxers so we're we've Mm. been kind of staying away Um, and I asked Ramal do they even still do that and they just don't invite us because we won't go or (laughs) I mean or does it not happen and and You know, I'm still not sure what the answer is, but um, I think that they just don't get together or they get together in smaller groups. But yeah, I think uh, we've just been on our own the last couple of years, which I'm honestly fine with. I mean, I love seeing everybody, but I'm also a loner. I'm a loner, Dottie, a rebel.
2: Oh, yeah, dude. It's been Friendsgiving for me for almost 10 years now. and. Occasionally, it's like every other Christmas, I trade off going to visit family or in laws and stuff. This year, I decided it's it's going to be an LA Christmas. I'm going to stay
0: home and <laughs> play video games. You don't go back to New England like Jacob does.
2: No, I I don't. I mean, I have like cousins and stuff out in New England, but most of my immediate family is out of the state now. So, oh it, okay, yeah. So
0: it's you know, it's nice. I like I like I like the peace and quiet. <laughs> Fair enough. Cool. Uh, what's been going on? I, I can tell you guys. I, I want to start off with this because I saw something awesome. Uh, right. Bones and all. Luca Guadagino or however you say his name. His new movie. Um, have either of you guys seen this yet? I know it. it it's... I believe it is opened in LA. Not uh, yet. No. This movie is awesome. It, it it's It's exactly the movie that you think is going to be made by the guy who did both call me by your name and the Suspiria remake. <laughs> I mean it's it's being billed as kind of a horror romance and that's kind of what it is. And I don't even want to talk about it too much because I've already seen one of I didn't know anything going into it except that it was Luca. And there are it's filled with jaw-dropping moments where you're just like holy crap did that really just happen? You know, and I've seen those spoiled by other reviewers, even saying what the movie is about, but the opening scene is one of those. You're like, Holy shit, you know, and that is what sets up what's going on. So when I went into it, I thought it was going to be like a natural born killers kind of thing with just these two delinquents in love kind of a thing, but it is not, it is something completely, completely different. And if you haven't already had it spoiled, just avoid even headlines. (laughs) Um, because it is i mean it's 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 amazing and the way that it's revealed is amazing and it's like probably every act there's one huge holy shit moment it's oh it's so good the more i think about it the higher it climbs right now it's at number four on my list it's behind the black phone the northman and x Mm. and when i first saw it it was at number eight so it's already leapfrogged up the list anyway bones and all it's it's awesome it is. It's, it, it's, it's really gory, though, which I know that no one who goes to horror movies is going to have a problem with that. But it's like, you know, if you go into it thinking, oh, the new movie from the guy who made Call Me By Your Name. Sure. Um, there, <laughs> there's buckets and buckets of blood. It's a pretty gruesome movie. But I mean, Suspiria, his Suspiria went full Cronenberg in the last act. So, yeah, lot, I mean, there were bugs of blood in that one, too. Yeah. So I guess, you know, he's I feel like this is it's the perfect marriage of what this about of what he wants to do. I don't know how to say his last name, so I'm just going to call him Luca. It, it's the perfect marriage of what he does. So anyway, it's awesome.
1: Um, as for me, uh, and speaking of. Uh, of uh, filmmakers uh, making their opuses. Um, I saw Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. How nice. How was that? Yeah. Oh, man, it was beautiful. You know, it's like the story has been done so many times and adapted across so many movies and TV and stuff. But what? just to see
2: her alone, this is the third Pinocchio movie. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, uh, to be fair, I think the uh, other students were basically trying to ape off the hype from Guillermo's Pinocchio. But no, uh Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is the peak. Uh, It's basically uh, an update on the story where it's uh, set in uh, fascist Italy, and yeah, like, Geppetto makes uh, Pinocchio, and he comes to life and goes on all these adventures, but uh, it deals a lot with, like, the difficulties of parenthood, and, you know, how difficult children can be, and uh, life, and death, and all these existential stuff, and also has an amazing cast, you know, like, uh, you know, like there's Christoph Waltz and of course, Ewan McGregor, who plays uh, Jiminy Cricket in this version. Uh, a lot of Guillermo del Toro regulars and yeah, just beautifully animated in stop motion. It's very fantastical, uh, very well written. And uh, it was it was so good. I cried uh, so much watching it like it was very emotional. I mean, he's been he's been cooking this for decades at this point. Yeah, we actually had him at the Q&A at the theater, and he's been basically been working on this since 2005. Yeah, which makes sense, because what you just said with all the
2: themes, I I haven't been able to watch Pinocchio yet, but we did uh, watch Hellboy again last night, and they're all there. You know, the the themes of parenthood, what it means to be human, you know, everything uh, with that, which revisiting Hellboy was a lot of fun, because I always thought, like, oh, that was more studio interference, Del Toro, you know, like there wasn't much of that spark and that magic and what he brings to it. I'm dead wrong, dude. Like Hellboy. Yes, there was that. You you could see like the studio interference, like especially shoehorning uh, Myers in there, uh, Agent Myers. But uh, it's it's still Del Toro all over. It's still beautifully shot, still beautifully. Obviously, Hellboy 2 is 1000% (laughs) Del Toro (laughs) just going ham. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, dude, th- those movies are worth a revisit.
1: But, uh, yeah, no, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio was really good, and uh, I would definitely recommend it. Um, but, yeah, it was funny at the Q&A. He even talked about that, though, that, that, you know, he'd been pitching it for years, and they're like, oh, what's your Pinocchio movie about? It's like, it said fascist Italy and deals with life and death, and the studios <laughs> just kind of shake their heads like, no, nah, <laughs> no. Nah. I love that. What's your take on Pinocchio? Well, first of all,
2: fascist Italy. Oh, that's what Hear I think out. about. <laughs> <laughs> but but if anyone was to make that work, it is Del Toro. I mean, and he made it work. It's Penn's Labyrinth. You know, it's like oh yes. yeah, it's a fairy tale set <laughs> during the Silver Bowl period. Uh that's that's his mo. Uh, and thank God for him. Um, one that I watched recently. I don't know if we talked about it yet. Have you guys seen Trick or Treat, Scooby Doo? Uh, no, I haven't had the chance to see that one yet. Oh man, I'm a big Scooby-Doo fan and I was so excited about this new one because it's the first, um, feature length Scooby-Doo movie to do the, uh, animation style of, um, of what they've been doing recently with Guess Who's Scooby-Doo. Um, uh, but also it got a lot of online controversy because it had made, um, uh, Velma canon as, uh, as, uh, gay. Um, yeah, yeah. Sh- cause she- it gets a crush on this uh, developer and it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's kind of the little spoilery, but like it's very, it's kind of like the spectra of the Scooby-Doo movies where they find a, you know, very early in the movie, they establish like, Oh yeah, all the suits that all our classic villains have been using were made by one person. So there's like one person that's kind of behind all the monsters. And they lock that person up very early in the movie. And the rest of the movie is like them having an an existential crisis of, well, we don't have any monsters to solve anymore because we (laughs) we figured it out. Especially Fred, dude. Fred has a meltdown. And (laughs) it's it's really fun. It's really funny. Uh, Matthew Lillard, like all the voice actors that have been doing it, you know, are back. Matthew Lillard. Uh, as Shaggy, Kate McCucci, as uh, Velma and uh, Frank Welker, of course, is still Fred. You know, I think that man is going to keep being the voice of Fred for many, many years, thankfully. Uh, But, you know, with all the controversy surrounding making Velma um, canon gay, you know, the movie doesn't focus on that too, too much. It's just another part of it. And it's, it's honestly really adorable it's really fun uh you just see velma have like a big huge crush and it just happens to be on a woman and i like that the movie didn't make a spectacle of it it just made it a part of like you know a character having a crush and and it made sense and it was a lot of fun um i highly recommend it there's there's a lot of great moments they kind of do like a greatest hits with like a lot of the classic villains you know it's just classic scooby-doo updated and again if you love Scooby-Doo,
0: trick-or-treat Scooby-Doo is a real treat. Have you guys seen that movie? I think it's on Paramount Plus, Significant Other. No, that's the hiking one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Micah Monroe and Jake Lacey. And they're a couple, they go hiking and um, they, it shows you from the the opening shot that there's like a meteor or something that crashes in the woods so you know it's aliens from the beginning and it's one of those movies it, it starts out really really good and then there's a couple of there's a couple of real surprising twists in it and then it gets just kind of silly so it's not I mean it it it's still worth watching because it's also kind of short I think it's only like 85 minutes or something like that but yeah it gets kind of corny by the end but there there's there's a couple of really cool parts and one of them is, I mean, the alien is kind of a shape shifter and there's one part where you actually see it shift. And I don't want to say from what to what, but um, because it's a, it'll it'll be a bit of a spoiler, but it's a pretty cool effect they do. And it's a simple one too. You know, it wasn't, you know, it's, it's not like, you know, a whole lot of CGI, you know, morphing. It's just, I don't know. It's pretty cool. But anyway, it's a, yeah, it's like an alien in the woods movie kind of a thing. I all I saw was like the poster for it and it and it's them, you know,
2: with all their hiking gear on. And I sent it to uh my partner Lindsay and I just sent it to her and I was just like, I don't know why, but I feel like you need to watch this movie. Like this movie's made for you. And she's like, is it because of people hiking? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I know nothing else about the movie <laughs> except that it's a thriller and they're hiking.
0: Yeah, there's there's a lot of hiking in it, but there's also a lot of uh I mean, it's, it the, the the setting is beautiful, the woods, and then they they open up onto this clearing that overlooks the ocean. It's, I mean, it's they definitely found a beautiful location for it. But it's just kind of, I mean, it's one of those movies where like you're watching it and you're you're totally in for like the first half, and then you're then you kind of slowly you're like, oh, okay, this is getting a little corny, and then it goes places where you're like, okay, you know, now <laughs> it's I don't know, it makes decisions.
1: <laughs> also, last night I was at the uh Severn film Super Shock pop-up. It's like they're uh every year they do like a big kind of screening to announce some of their titles for the Black Friday sale. Uh and last night they unveiled some bangers. Oh, so you guys are familiar with the works of Alexander de Iglesias, right? Yes. You know, Perdita Durango, Day of the Beast, Thirty Coins. Yeah, but anyway, uh they they screened his first movie which they're uh going to be putting on a 4K UHD release called Action Mutante and Ooh. man it is one banana's ass movie. Is <laughs> <'Cause- laughs> Okay, so it's like this sci-fi action splatterpunk movie about uh the this terrorist group of deformed people who uh, have waged a war on like the upper crust uh, bourgeoisie society and they kidnap the daughter of this uh, industrial magnate at her wedding and it turns and it goes from like this over the top like gritty action movie to like this kind of adventure crime caper and and it just, there's so much blood and, uh, just over the line shit. It's it, 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 uh, blew me away. Cause like I heard about it for a long time. I just never expected it to actually get, you know, like a stateside release. And the craziest thing of all was that it was Alex Iglesias first movie and it was completely funded and produced by none other than a tour Pedro Almodovar. Ah, uh, you, you have
2: sold me so hard on this movie. Like everything about it down to being funded by al lamar like come on that sounds incredible yeah
1: no it's it's a ride and uh yeah no it's and again it was just one of those movies i never actually thought i'd get the chance to see because it's like uh peter jackson's early work you know you hear a lot about it but uh, a little harder to come by these days yeah Uh, yeah and the second movie uh, which again you know was a real surprise uh Dari Argento's third uh animal movie, uh Four Flies on Grey Velvet is getting
2: a Stateside release. Yeah, I saw they just announced that they're putting that out on 4K as
1: well. Yeah, 4K UHD and I saw the restoration print last night and it was stunning. Like uh, it looked beautiful, sounded beautiful. So, and again, it's one of those movies, you know, just you you hear about for a long time and uh, you know, I, I've actually seen it, but I didn't, didn't really expect it to get a stateside release anytime soon. But uh, I'm really glad it is, and it's and it's also like a very Argento heavy release because they also are putting out his uh like his one of his only non horror Giallo movies, uh, the Five Days, which was the kind of historical comedy movie he did after Four Flies from Great uh, Four Flies on Grey Velvet, which. They showed a little trailer for it because again, you know, never seen it. <laughs> it does look pretty wild because it's like this weird Rosencrantz and Stern style comedy set during the Italian Revolution. And the opening trailer is like a bishop telling the people to go fuck themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm sure it's it's going to be wild. I mean, it looks beautiful and apparently got a really big budget for it. Going to be interested, in kind of comparing that against his horror work for a change. But yeah, no, Action Mutante and Four Flies on Grey Velvet. Uh, very surprising, but both very, uh, very fun movies. My wallet's taking a big hit at the end of the month. That's for sure. <laughs> yes. Um, are, do you
2: guys uh, subscribe to Night Flight at all, per chance? Uh, not anymore. I, I used uh, to. I I highly recommend checking it out again because it I I they have deals every now and then where it's like thirty five bucks for a year and it is worth every penny. I've been doing a deep dive while cleaning and ha- watching a lot of music docs on it, but they have a lot of really weird ones. And one I wanted to bring up was uh, called Children of Dracula, which sounds cooler than it is. Um, for, <laughs> it's basically in the early nineties, these television producers were looking for like you know, the next shock documentary um, to to put on television to make for television. And so what they did was they put out ads in Dallas and L.A. looking for real life vampires and they interview the people who respond. And it is so weird because it's very early 90s, very like action news, but like super low budget. And it's just interviewing people who have encountered real life vampires i'm this is a podcast so you can't see me doing the air quotes with my fingers um (laughs) or people who uh say they are real life vampires and it's just such a weird such a such a great like little time capsule of like that action news jerry springer era of just like weird you can almost put anything on television but still have to adhere to the fcc standards and (laughs) it's it's such a weird and yeah i'm I'm not getting paid by night flight but night flight's great yeah children of dracula it's it's not the greatest thing but hey if you're cleaning your house it's a great thing to have on in the background
0: (laughs) fair enough have you guys watched that series on netflix the watcher uh no i've heard mixed things about it i feel mixed things about it. the story that it is based on is actually really creepy. It's about these people that moved into this house and then they started getting letters saying, you know, I've watched this house for decades and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, shit. I've I've read that story online. Yeah. 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 And, and um, the thing is, the series takes it a lot for it's almost it's kind of like a speculation on what may have happened. And, you know, the dives into like, you know, cult stuff like that. My my issue with it is I, I feel like they wanted to stretch it to be a limited series and it should have been like a 90 minute movie. Because there's a ton of like red herrings and false turns and, you know, this suspect here. No, no, it's this suspect here. But no, now it's this suspect. But wait, now it's back to the first suspect. And it's... It just just a lot of, you know, it's like Spider-Man pointing at each other. You know? <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, by the time it gets to the end, the ending is not very satisfying, which is kind of kind of goes with the true life story, because honestly, the true life story doesn't really have an ending. I mean, the people who live there still get the letters, you know, it that's all it is. But yeah, it's kind of it's it's creepy, but then as the mystery unravels. It just kind of, the whole thing kind of unravels. Yeah. There's just a lot of um, pulling rabbits out of hats and stuff, you know? And that's the thing about the real life story. Cause like the real
2: life story is essentially these people get a house and then they get these really, don't get me wrong. They're really creepy and disturbing letters about being watched all the time and yeah. like stuff like that. But that's all it is. You know what I mean? Like it is like, especially if you're in that situation, it's terrifying and horrible, but I mean, like it's just someone getting letters, and they never really figured out who it was. And like, they don't happen as frequent, but they kind of still are happening. So it's like I can see that being adapted into a limited series, being kind of like eh, either you're going to stretch it really are or take liberties, and
0: they they do both. They do come up with a cool, uh, not excuse um, reasoning behind why the letters even started. There's a cool little concept as to how. The, the 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 writing of the letters even came about so th- so that's kind of you know the writers kind of did well with that but um but yeah it's it's just they're they're i think they're trying to speculate a story that um i think it they just wrote themselves into too many corners with it
2: uh speaking of netflix limited series based on real events um how do you guys feel about dahmer because I know that's been very popular on Netflix and I I personally can't help but feel like I don't want to watch it out of just like, ah, I'm not saying that I'm I'm sick of serial killer, you know, real life serial killer stuff. But like the Dahmer series just kind of feels like ah, it's it's hard to say because like there, there's 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 still victim families of the victims out there. And they're they're being portrayed in these series without their permission, which I understand, you know, a lot of it's it's it falls under like, you know, public story, public. It's news account. accounts.
0: Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. So, like, you know, I, I the, the the producer in me is going like, ah, right, well, you know, this is all OK. This is all legal. But like at the same time, it's it's every time one of these things come out, those those people who survived or those people who have been affected by this evil have to relive these moments, have to relive all of this. And not only that, but see the person that did this horrible fucking thing to their family have a series with its name on it and being played by an attractive actor. And like, I can't help but like with Dahmer, I like, I don't know if Dahmer was like my limit of just like, you know what? Uh, I don't know if I can, if I can get continue being into this. I don't know. It feels different than like something like Henry, you know, where it's like, more demonizing on it or takes more liberties with it i don't know like sometimes when it's like too close to it and tries to be too accurate with it it feels it feels dirty i don't know what what you guys how are
0: you guys i tried to watch Dahmer. um i well and i'm not saying i've given up on it yet i just couldn't get into it i watched one episode and then i was like eh there's other things i'd rather be watching so maybe i'll go back to it at some point but you know it, it was no big stand you know like you're saying about you know it's not that I didn't agree with anything. It just didn't grab me from the first episode.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It didn't really appeal to me either. Just, yeah, both kind of what, like what Jonathan was saying. And also just, I don't know, like what, uh, I'm just not really sure what more I have to gain from watching it. Uh, I mean, I know a lot about Nobber from other stories and adaptations. And yeah, I, I don't know. Just, it just, it just didn't really interest me as much.
2: Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. This isn't, this isn't like one of, cause we all know how passionate I can get about, stuff you know uh this isn't I'll, I'll say it straight out this isn't me on uh on a box like i i get with the warrens you know uh <laughs> right. but it's just one of those things where it's just like i mean like we're we're horror people we watch a lot of horror stuff i don't know it's just like do we do we need another dahmer's project do we need another you know thing like that like has that not been explored enough and like has it not been explored enough to the point where it's like okay Guys, we're like really just like digging into some old wounds here for some
0: real, real people. The word isn't even explored; it's exploited. Yeah, I mean, you with Dahmer at this point, it's being exploited.
2: And like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, um, I'm trying to find the right words. I don't want to like make anyone feel bad for enjoying, you know, watching it. I don't want to like condemn anybody who made it or worked on it you know what i mean it's one of those things where it's just like i think just for me personally like because i get it I've, I've gotten a lot where people are like did you watch dahmer oh it's right up your alley and it's like you know what i don't think it is i i, I don't think it is up my alley it's a like game of thrones it's like yeah it's just uh, i'm just not interested sorry game
0: of thrones fans i'm but game of thrones is awesome um never but- will watch it <laughs> i'm sorry it's just ah <laughs> I mean, if you're not ne- if if you're never gonna watch it, that's your loss because it's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's okay. The thing about Dahmer is, um, it is. Uh, I think we've reached saturation point with Jeffrey Dahmer because, yeah. like, it, it seems like every six months there's a new documentary, a new limited documentary series. There's a new, you know, the Dahmer tapes. You know, th- there's something new every time. So when this comes out, you're like, okay, you know. Th- at this point yeah i'm not going to say who cares because obviously people do because people are watching it but it's like you know like jacob said you know what do you get from watching this now you know you i mean is there really anything that you don't know and i guess you know if they take liberties with the story, i would love to see how they portray those two cops who gave that that kid who got away back to him Yeah, I haven't gotten to that point in the series and, and I don't, I mean, eventually I might go back to it, but I didn't get there when I tried. I mean, for, for me and, and it's with like all the, all the major
2: serial killers, you know, cause, uh, but a little bit of Bundy, a little bit of, you know, of,
0: uh, even I can't uh, get enough Bundy though. (laughs) Bundy is very intriguing to me just because of how charming he was or like,
2: uh, Ed Gein, all of them. Like there's, there's like total saturation. I think like in order for me to get interested or to be interested in a project about these people, it would be less about them and more about how like exploring the uh criminal investigation and the judicial system side of it because a lot of the reasons why these people got away with stuff for so long is due to just incompetence oh yeah um i mean like you just brought up like literally one of the victims of jeffrey dahmer went to the escaped went to the cops told them what happened and they went okay let's bring you back to this guy because there's some like weird shit going on here that we don't want to deal with and we're just going to give you right back to him yeah. and, then the, and then he
0: got murdered and it's yeah just they, like... they thought it was like a gay lover's spat
2: and they were just like we don't want to
0: touch this yeah and they yeah. believe Dahmer over the kid because the kid had been drugged uh. so you know he was probably out of it so they're like okay just you know make sure he gets home and Dahmer's like of course i will
1: yeah. Well I mean that and that is uh one thing I am glad that is being more emphasized with these types of shows and that uh, a lot of times you know these serial killers weren't masterminds they weren't uh you know like criminal geniuses they uh, just were able to exploit a broken system in order to uh, evade the law you know they targeted people that the cops didn't really care about and they you know just oh, and they were white, so they had that yep. advantage there. And don't get me wrong, as someone who was such a
2: diehard Dexter fan in the beginning, because that first season of Dexter is is one of the best seasons of television, and it never lived up to that first season. <laughs> no,
0: it, it totally did. The Trinity season, oh, yeah, that season yeah, the John that season, that one, I, that one beat the hell out of the
2: first don't, season, don't get me wrong the Trinity season is the second best season of that show. I still don't think it beats season one. I, I, it came close, but that was, but also I think
0: it beats it, but we can, we, we can agree if we all had the same opinion. No, if we all had the same opinion, it'd be a boring world. (laughs) But I think we can agree on one thing is that those were the, Two good
2: seasons of Dexter. All the rest. I struck especially-
0: killer and, tr- and Trinity killer were the two big ones. Yeah, Two two
2: and three were decent. But after Trinity killer, it went downhill real quick. But anyways, the, the best thing that the later seasons of Dexter did was that one where Dexter meets a serial killer idol. And he's like, oh, the fact that you put that body on like the cops front lawn was such a fuck you to everybody. And it was so cool. And, and the guy was just like, oh, I was shit faced and it fell out of my car. I didn't even realize it <laughs> fell on. So it's thing. And it like really like explored like. No, oftentimes these are just like fucking idiots because you have to you have to have in in like some aspects like Hannibal Lecter is a fictional fucking character and that is not how it works (laughs) like at all and so like it's just, it's just insane. And like with, with something like that, it's, it's understandable that if someone is operating on a level of just like chaos and randomness, that it's hard to like put it together, but also just the inherent incompetency. I mean, I, I brought up Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. That man admitted and, and said he murdered so many cases to get like, because cops were basically like, Oh, if you admit to this case, then we'll give you some perks. And he's like, Yeah, sure, fuck it. I'm already in prison for life. Like, yeah, I also did that one. Yeah, I also did that one. Cool. Give me some burger king. Um <laughs> and and cops were like, Cool. Except I closed. do
0: I do think Ted Bundy was a genius though. If you look at at Bundy's case. He was a genius. He was cold and calculating about everything he did. And I mean, he not only evaded the cops when he was caught, he escaped. (laughs) I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's always exceptions. There's always, there is always people where it's like, Oh, okay. So they weren't, but But like that's, that's why Bundy is so fascinating to me though, is because he, I mean, he was in jail on death row for murdering women and he was getting marriage proposals from women. It's like, do, do you not? I, I don't know. But do we need
2: another series? Do we need another thing where he's played by some former high school musical person? You know, like, don't get me wrong. Uh, Zach Efron was very good, but like, do we need to be reigniting that? Cause when that series came out or that movie came out, we saw it again where people were like, Oh man, Ted Bundy was hot. Ted Bundy was cute. And it's just <laughs> like, do we need to, do we need to be explored? It's, it's one of those things where it's like, do we need to be, Making celebrities or continuing the celebrity level of these people when we should be exploring why our system of justice is like failing so many people that these things happen. I mean, like, why does America have so many serial killers
0: compared to other countries? I saw someone on uh, social media somewhere. It might have been a Facebook post. Someone had asked about the Zef- Zach Efron Bundy. And and they said, no, he's too attractive and too cute to play Ted Bundy. I'm all, do you know anything about Ted Bundy? Ted, Barmy, Ted Bundy was a charmer. Yeah. I mean, th- that's the only person they could... Well, not the only person, but they needed an actor like that to yeah. play him. Because y- you couldn't get some homely fat dude to play Ted Bundy because he wasn't homely and fat. He was... You know, no. he was charming and handsome. So,
2: yeah. No, like that, that was spot on casting. You can't do that with yeah. like John Wayne Gacy, you no, know? No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, like, I, I can't imagine Zac Afron being in Pogo the Clown makeup. You know? <laughs> I mean, I yeah. can't imagine it. It just doesn't work.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's move on to our topic for the uh, for the episode, which is we, we're getting into the holiday season And um, Black Friday is coming up. Actually, Black Friday will have passed by the time this posts. But um, we're getting into the holiday season and everybody's going to be out spending money and pissing people off, you know, (laughs) in malls. So let's talk about consumerism and consumerism in horror movies. A surprisingly popular subject yeah yeah it kind of is, yeah, and I think that um the first thing that comes to mind for me and probably one of the first things for you guys as well is they live yes, that is yes the yeah uh, that right there is the case study because it's right down you know to the you know to the messages with the sun you know with the sunglasses and all I mean it basically is. Not making fun of. It's calling out the corporate world for its advertising and how it is basically preying on not the unintelligent, but the um it's giving people what they want in order to get them to spend their money. You know, it's yeah. showing people, it's showing people what they want to see. You know, like there's that commercial right now that says young people react to commercials that show people having fun. So here's a pool party about insurance.
2: <laughs> I don't know if you guys <laughs> yeah. see that. Yeah. And that's one of the great things about they live. Not just it's 10 minute fight scene. That's just like you know, <laughs> the, so good, so good on the surface. That is the best thing. But, but it, if you if enough. you
0: peel the layers away. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I mean, surface or not. I mean, that's an amazing fight scene, but it, it's it, it's a it's a. And that's why John Carpenter's work is will be forever is because he calls out um, societal issues that are still pre- prevalent, whether it's assault on precinct 13 with its critiques on the judicial system and also, you know how how crime is handled. To they live about consumerism. We're still we still have advertisements. We're still dealing with it. The whole point of advertising is it's it's a part of psychology. So it's getting you to notice it. And even if it's not something that's overtly subliminal, there's still that tactic of getting it in your head multiple times. So, you know, when you're driving through down the highway, you see the Black Adam advertisements enough to where you go, you know what? <sighs> Pierce Bronson does look pretty dope as Dr. Fate. Maybe I should <laughs> check out Black Adam. It's that repetition. You know, it's it's still there. And the tactics are always changing. I mean, fuck, dude. How many seasons of Mad Men did we have where they were basically just like telling us how stupid we were for falling for the tactics?
1: And yeah, that's the thing with they lived is that it was in its time, a direct response and rebuttal to Reaganomics, which, uh, you know, because, like, in the 80s, uh, advertising, marketing, and consumerism was at an all-time high, and, yeah, Carpenter just decided to kind of cut to the meat of it you know because like the signs literally say consume and obey and my personal favorite the money that says this is your god <laughs> and <laughs> yeah if they're yeah they're trying to control you by like getting you to buy their buy their product and not just buy into their product but buy into their yuppie lifestyle
2: well and and just think of how how much of our world is shaped By advertising i'm thinking back to one of the greatest advertising and by greatest this isn't like me saying like it was a good thing but just like the most uh, i think the proper verbiage would be the most successful advertising program was early in the 19th century there was a company that um made shavers and they're like man we really cornered the market on men shaving because men have to shave their beards but how can we make more money and they started a campaign to advertise to women, but women don't have beards typically. So, what do you do to 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 appeal to women? You start making, you start changing the beauty standards of the time and shaving legs, shaving armpits. Now you have an entirely new market, and it's still, and its effects are still felt today. Or even if it comes to fashion, on what's fashionable affects what we perceive as attractive. You know, it could be something like right now. Like right now, let's pull something out. Like uh bell bottoms may not seem like a cool or hip or sexy thing to do but there was a very successful campaign where where that was the thing and it's working on our inherent things or even just um Coca-Cola with Santa Claus I mean Santa wasn't that big of a thing St. Nick wasn't a huge thing outside of certain areas of the world and Coca-Cola made it a thing and there's many 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 more examples of like how much of our culture how much of our world has been changed through advertisements and they live just like tapped into that so hard and i just love how under the advertisements it's just white and bold words that
1: just say stuff like consume obey and that's how we got the works of shepherd ferry yeah, let's yeah, see. In terms of other uh, critiques of consumerism, uh, of course, one of the other big ones my, and one of my personal favorites would, of course, be George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Yes. Because, uh, you know, like... Uh, takes place zo- in a
0: mall. <laughs>
1: yeah, all the, and all the zombies go to the mall because it was a place that was important to them. And yeah, so you just got like all the zombies just wandering the mall and like, uh, just like looking for stuff that they don't need. And yeah, just, you know, the metaphor couldn't be more upfront. But it's still not, uh, just as devastating.
0: But as subtle as a heart attack. Yeah. What? When is it
2: no longer a metaphor because it's no longer like subtle? Like when is it like sewing so your oh,
1: yeah. face that it that it can't be called that? I. But mean, like, we say not yeah.
0: subtext; it's text. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, like remember all those comparison pictures with like screen caps of Dawn of the Dead compared to people shopping on Black Friday.
2: Yeah. And, and that's the thing too is that, and cause there's the very overt, it's like, oh, consumerism, zombies consume, we consume products like zombies consume bodies, you know, and, uh, there's those overt things, but there's all these great moments. Like we have that awesome montage where they finally close off the mall, right? And they finally get rid of like enough zombies where they can safely roam around. And they just have a quote shopping spree where they're just grabbing (laughs) everything that they possibly could have wanted in a mall. And they look comfortable, you know, at a certain point, but they don't seem fulfilled. They have literally the the access to all the mall. And it's not like you can see that they're not fulfilled. You know, they're, they're, they're just like, oh, okay, well, now what? Because we live in a fucking mall now, That's not the most glorious scenario.
1: Yeah, like like that one scene. It, it, there's a or there's a few scenes where like they're in the mall by themselves, like each of the different characters, and yeah, they're just very isolated. Yeah, you know, they got all their stuff, but they're alone.
2: Yeah, and they're bored
1: because they got yeah. all their
2: stuff, and then it's a it's a now what and who Pretty doesn't much. feel that, especially in this time where you can just order things online and it comes in a couple days later, like. You get really excited. I don't know about you guys, but I'm a huge Blu-ray collector and I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, dude, this new Blu-ray is going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And then I get it and I watch it and then I go, all right, what's the next one? You know, <laughs> and like, yeah, it's it's uh you get that. It's like it doesn't fill that hole kind of like how you never satisfy the hunger of a zombie. Exactly. You got to have more, more, more. It just like uh and then on the other side of things, when it comes to food consumption, you got uh the stuff. Yes, which is so amazing because it really does get into the rabid food f- uh, fad side of uh, consumerism. And even though people are getting first of all, I just love how the stuff, its
1: origins, it's just uh, this white yeah. shit in a
2: fucking <laughs> in the crowd. And someone just goes, Huh, I wonder what this tastes like. Yeah,
1: it's like this homeless, yeah, this homeless guy just finds it.
2: And no one questions like wait, where is this from? <laughs> like, Shouldn't we be looking into what this stuff is? And they're like, no, it's stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. And also it was a, a pretty fun critique of the Cola Wars of the 80s, because yeah, like yes. the imp- impetus of the story is Michael Moriarty is a corporate saboteur hired by the other dessert companies who want to figure out uh, what, what's the deal with the stuff and how they can either destroy it or use it to their own advantage. So they hire him to infiltrate the stuff to figure out what their deal is. And, yeah, no, just you know, because yeah, you go. Larry Cohen went into the corporatism of desserts and food fads at the time, and he also, uh, like, they live went into uh, the advertising and marketing because, like, the commercial with like all the scantily clad women, uh, like presenting the stuff. It's also just great that it's called the stuff. Like, yeah, it's just like the they stuff.
2: Didn't, they didn't come up with any better name, so it just went. What is it? It's stuff. Well, we got to put the in front of it to make it marketable. <laughs> It's like social network before social network. What if we put the in front
0: of it? They had to uh, rush it to market. <laughs> they didn't yeah. have time to think of a clever
1: name. Uh, I guess. And then, and then yeah, then there's a the whole twist that the stuff literally eats you, eats you alive and like takes over your mind. And that's the thing is like we got filmmakers,
2: uh, you know, uh, John Carpenter, George A. Romero, Larry Cohen. They were they were masters at doing stuff on budget. <laughs> in a rough budget <laughs> but also uh giving you the schlock giving you the horror giving you the thrills while also making you think and making you question things and uh that that's why that's why they're forever you know their work will live on for for all time um but what about um american psycho because that's one that you you don't think in like these the ones that we've been talking about they're very overt about it they're very like hey consumerism and horror it's like oh yeah no it's stuff with that you know obvious but uh american psycho is very much so about that like obsessiveness it's about that the damn
0: yuppies yeah uh, it's, it's more about materialism than consumerism which you know, is it's two both. sides of the same coin but with american psycho it's like everything that the guy holds dear is basically you know he'll he'll he talk about his expensive apartment. He he talks about how much money he makes. You know, everything is about stuff he has, and you know, and uh, to that famous scene where he's freaking out because the other guy's card is classier than his, even though they look exactly the same. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. you're, you know, it's um, it it's it's just his whole identity boils down to how I guess how successful he is, which is judged by how much stuff he has.
1: Yeah, and, I just, and like the, I love the recurring theme that he pays for everything on credit card because, especially at that time in the eighties, it's like you, you had to be a high roller to pay with a, uh, you know, plastic credit card. And he even tried to pay for the prostitute with a credit card.
2: <laughs> well, credit cards were also new in the eighties. Like, yeah, yeah, that that wasn't a thing prior to that. Same with credit scores. By the way, credit scores were <laughs> were created in the eighties and only America
1: does. It in are bullshit. Uh, oh, yeah, anyways. another... Uh, yeah, it's another bullshit system in, in the 80s. Yep. Thank you, Reagan. Great, great in the 80s. <laughs> but also
0: his... There, there's a lot of... Um, the reason American Psycho comes off as a satire is because it was made in 2000, yeah. and it's looking back on the mid-80s. So, you know, in retrospect, if it was made in the... Well, the book was written in 91, so it couldn't have been made that early. But if it if that movie was made in the 80s, it would have been a different kind of movie. It wouldn't have been as it wouldn't have, you know the, the whole i got to return some videotape you know that wouldn't <laughs> that wouldn't be funny <laughs> you know it, it it would be or how much does he pay for his video club membership it's like hundreds to to join this cuz vhs rentals were new you know yeah. and the tapes themselves were costing the people who were renting them hundreds of dollars so th- you had to pay a fee to for the privilege of renting the tapes mm. yeah
2: well, and and that's the thing too is that we we talk about consumerism and ads exploiting you know filling that filling a small void you know of filling stuff and who has a bigger void than a psychopath you know because uh, inherently there's a there's a lot of uh, personality that's just missing there and so he through materialism through even just pop culture knowledge is trying to present himself as as a as a person a person of you know that want so everything in him is is fake he doesn't give a shit about huey lewis but he will spit <laughs> all the facts about huey lewis as if he does enjoy something that brings joy to someone he doesn't care about reese witherspoon and his relationship with her but she is someone of status and so he's he has that relationship going because he, he doesn't care about doing having a relationship on that level he just wants to use people and yeah that that's definitely like the, the elite status of what we're talking about today with consumerism and materialism with American Psycho. And then, of course, there's with the holiday season, we have the holiday consumerism specific movies of stuff like, of course, Black Friday and Krampus, which I think are two of the biggest. <laughs> oh, and I'm going to throw it in there. I know it's not inherently horror, but it's a horrifying situation. Jingle all the way. Yeah. How is that not a terrifying story of someone who is being driven to this point? And yeah, no, that kid wanted that toy, but like that kid did not want that toy that much to go through that much shit, you know? Yeah.
0: If we're going non-horror, we got to go Fight Club and Josie and the Pussycats, which are two of the biggest of uh, consumer But- We are eye on horror, not eye on movies, (laughs) says the fringe guy. (laughs) And uh, and sort of
1: related. I I would also say uh, Gremlins and especially sorry, Gremlins and Gremlins to the new batch, uh, both prominently anti-consumerism again, especially the sequel, because in the sequel, you know, they said it that like. Uh, advanced wall street office building with like all the products and all the stuff and all the gremlins get into everything. Uh, yeah, like uh mass consumerism turns into gremlins or even just the exploitation.
2: Cause the whole point of gremlins is here is this massive amount of responsibility embodied into this mogwai. Right. And even from the get go, the, the father in the first movie is like, man, every kid in America is going to want one of these. Yeah. <laughs> And we get even more of that when we get into the corporate building and new batch which I'm I'm always down to talk about new batch for as oh, long yeah. as possible so if we want to do a whole episode of new batch I'm, I'm oh I'm there um and and the and that's that's the whole thing is that exploitation whether it's of something that's sacred something that's old and you could easily translate that to the exploitation of like natural resources and what have you you know uh and it's all bundled in this cute little magwai. <laughs> that can turn into a horrible monster. And that's what's so great about our genre is we can make these big critiques. We can make these uh, statements and make it consumable uh, for the viewer, something that we is easy to digest and to think about and is entertaining. Because let's be honest, I don't know who hasn't been in that classroom where they put on a documentary about this stuff and you're asleep within 20 minutes. You know? <laughs> yeah. Cause it's, it's, it's hard when it's like a hard hitting drama or something to retain attention, but you add aliens, you add monsters and it's, it's much more palatable, uh, to, to be able to be making these big critiques and themes.
1: Yeah, funny story. I actually uh got permission to show Romero's Dawn of the Dead back in high school for my social studies class because I said, you know, it's, it's about, you know, it's about consumerism. So, I got to show George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead to my high school social studies class and we had a blast. Hell yeah. Which cut did you show? Uh, whatever the Anchor Bay DVD was. I think that was the theatrical, yeah. Probably yeah, but uh you know, it's it's still good. Oh, yeah. I I
2: I love all the cuts. Uh, I mean, there's detractors to Argento's, you know, European cut, uh, but I, I think it's it's a different experience. It's a lot of fun and
1: educational.
0: Let's wrap this discussion about consumer horror up by bringing it back to Carpenter with Halloween Three: The Season of the yeah, Witch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> back to Carpenter, okay. Um, <laughs> and Tommy um, Lee Wallace. Yeah, <laughs> that one is. is is one of those ones that's overt and covert because it's clearly about selling these masks to kids. But then when you see what the masks do, it's a little more subtle, it's you know, that it, with its themes. But on the on the surface, it is, oh yeah, yeah, you know, eight more days till Halloween, you know, you need <laughs> you need your silver shamrock mask, or you're not gonna be cool this Halloween. You know?
1: Yeah. And I like how, you know, they're so popular popular and like the kids because they, they had that montage showing kids across the country wearing the mask and like they all have and they all they're all wearing them but they, they also like integrated them into different costumes like there was that uh jack-o'-lantern pirate kid and uh <laughs> I don't know, there was like the witch on the skateboard so you know it's like everybody's got the mask so i guess you know just uh, twi- twist it around because you know like if it's only three costumes it'd be <laughs> kind of weird if everybody was wearing the same three costumes but what do you uh, want to be
0: this halloween a pirate but I still need this mask. (laughs) Right. Exactly. It's like, it's so
1: popular that you have to, uh, you know, you have to wear the mask, even if you're doing a different costume like that. And yeah, it's like kind of a, yeah, exactly. It's a popularity thing. Cause at the beginning, remember uh, Tom Atkins character gets like regular masks for his kids. And they're like, Oh, but mom got us the uh, popular, the the awesome silver share masks. Which itself kind of feels like a commercial.
2: Well, and and one really interesting thing about Season of the Witch, I mean, a lot of these movies cover it too, but it goes into the corporate like irresponsibility of like safety measures, right? I mean, because yeah, yeah. how many, how often do we hear like, oh shit, this crib will murder your baby? So we're recalling <laughs> it. But like, how long has that company known that that's a factor? How long has people had, did
1: they care that that toy had lead in it? You know, yeah, yeah, because they it makes such a big deal out about final processing. Yeah, and if if it
2: if someone hadn't found out that you know this action figure had lead in it, would they have? If they weren't called on it, would they have just kept making it because of the cost cutting and stuff? Granted, it's uh, obviously the motivations in season of the witch are more macabre and are a bit <laughs> all of a. a a cult, and you know uh, the Stonehenge. In and Stonehenge, and I, I, off the top of my head, in this early morning, don't fully comprehend that part of the plot, but <laughs> it
0: it was there, you know. It comes back to Fight Club with um with the, what was the guy's job, where he, he had to determine whether paying out settlements was going to cost less than a complete recall
1: <laughs> of exactly. these dangerous things, <laughs> and uh, and also I think it specifically had a lot to say about the uh, consumerism culture. Uh, especially building around halloween because you know it's like yeah, the mess and the candy and the decorations and the industry around halloween and you know it's like i guess that versus its folkloric uh origins which is
2: awesome i mean like and i mean one of the things that i always enjoyed about season of the witch is it does pull in those themes of uh folklore where the old world comes back uh, whether it's in a small capacity or a big capacity and the new world the current world is terrified of it you know it's terrified of going back to nature of these pagan exercises that are more about praising the earth than it is about you know capitalism and consumerism and that's usually the thing that terrifies the modern world more than anything else and i think that's why See, one of the reasons why Season of the Witches is is still so prevalent and it has found its second wind in the last uh, 20, 25 years or so. I think it's
0: found its second wind um, because of Scream Factory and people are realizing (laughs) that if if you take away the the fact that it was a Halloween movie, it's a really good movie. You know, it's not what people expected at the time, which we discussed, you know, already when we talked about Halloween last episode, (laughs) Michael Myers fans versus Halloween fans it's what it comes down to yeah. <laughs> Halloween <laughs> fans
1: versus Michael Meyer fans, which <laughs> itself is kind of a funny metatextual uh, bit about consumerism because the whole thing with Halloween was is that, yeah, Halloween three seasons of which came out with a different story and it was great on its own, but the people audiences wanted to consume more Michael Myers. They wanted more Michael and, and that's what they wanted to consume.
0: So the studio brought Michael back Halloween itself. Like the, the holiday is kind of, I mean it's clearly a consumer thing but I mean if you think about it like there's a company that makes enough money to survive all year on opening up the spirit store for one <laughs> yeah. month you know <laughs> well they start in July now well okay oh, <laughs> so a, so more than a month but yeah. yeah um there are a couple that um as we wrap up let's just throw this out there and let's see what the listeners think there are a couple that we had in researching this that got named and We, it was from, what was it, Nightmare on Film Street did this article like four years ago. And there's a couple that we we didn't bring up because we don't know if we agree with it. One is Cloverfield, which I'm not sure that that has to do with consumerism. And the other is Videodrome. And Videodrome, I don't think has to do with consumerism so much as it does about media, which I guess you consume media. But um, those are ones that we didn't really bring up because I don't know that we agree with that thesis um if you do let us know because if you've got a fresh take on it um that we're not thinking of yeah you know i was
2: thinking about that about that a bit uh well since we've been talking because one of the things that they brought up with uh cloverfield at least was more in the marketing of the film itself and the um prevalence of the fictional products in it with Susho and Things of that nature, and how how that works within it, and that obsession uh, in it. I mean, both films do kind of explore the themes of uh, of medium and our media, and how prevalent that is in our lives, whether it's consuming it or documenting something for that purpose you know like what is the purpose behind TJ Miller's character in Cloverfield and filming all of it you know cuz with his character it's very much of a like whoa we got to save this for later cuz you know it's it's cool and then like it, and how that changes uh throughout the film of like no we have to document this cuz there's some fucked up shit going on so i yeah, I mean, like, there's, there's definitely arguments to be made with that. I just don't know if we, if we have the time right now to fully explore.
0: <laughs> I don't know that the argument is there. I'm not sure that that was the intent of these. I mean, it may have been subconscious, but um Videodrome, especially, I don't think that they're going for consumerism so much as they are just the media and more importantly the illegitimate media you know the pirate tv stations kind of a thing so well and i mean media
2: is a product that we do consume at the end of the day you know we it's it's advertised to us uh and we are being sold to it i mean i brought up the you know the advertisements for black adam you know that is a a, that is a movie which is a product to be consumed so you know media consumerism they do go hand in hand uh i and you know i just i i wish they had ex- a, uh give given more explanation as to why and explored that a bit more it's still a great article that lists off a lot of yeah. movies we did not discuss <laughs> yeah. if you've
0: got um if you have any other theories about these movies or any of the other movies we've discussed, hit us up we'd love to hear from you um. And let's get out of here for this week or for this episode. Our theme music is by Restless Spirit, so go check them out. And our artwork is by Chris Fisher, so go check him out. Um, you can find us on all the socials at Horror or at iHorror.com, which is the website that we all call home. And yeah, let us know uh, what you think of these consumerism movies and uh, especially about whether or not you think cloverfield and videodrome are because i'm really curious now to see what people think so yeah uh, let us know and we will see you in a couple of weeks so for me james j edwards i'm jacob davison and i'm jonathan korea keep your eye on horror